From the PSIA ASI Mobile Studios at Beaver Creek Resort, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. And today we're talking with Rocky Mountain trainer candidate Lynn Hasday about the posterior kinetic chain. Lynn, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, George. Thank you so much for having me. Posterior kinetic chain. That sounds so scientific and really sounds like it has something to do with snowboarding. It does have something to do with snowboarding and skiing, too. And skiing as well. Yeah. So tell us what, so you're an RMT candidate. Um, How did you come up with this as a topic? As I was training for all my certs, especially my cert two and cert three, everybody kept saying I had anterior pelvic tilt, but I didn't really know what exactly it was, how it was happening, or what I could do to change that. So actually, before we really get into this, how would it have helped if someone said, Lynn, you've got anterior pelvic tilt, and you're kind of like, so what do I do with that? Is that why you got into your research? Exactly. I wanted to know the what and the why and the how to fix it, not just kind of a picture of what was happening in a still image. So can you describe what the posterior kinetic chain is and what it has to do with the anterior pelvic tilt? The posterior kinetic chain is composed of the muscles in the back of your body on the frontal plane. And we specifically focus on the hamstrings, glutes, lumbar spine muscles. So fill us in a little bit more. We focus on how those muscles interact with each other and what happens when one of them isn't engaged but the others are and how sometimes supplementary muscles end up overworking because one of the muscles in the chain isn't engaged. When it's not ideally engaged, your movements become harder and less efficient and can lead to a higher risk of injury. So what were people noticing in your level two, level three that caused them to say that you had that issue? And and is it fairly common? I would think it is. So yes, it is very common. They were noticing that I was kind of just breaking at the waist basically. And I kept doing it and doing it and I didn't really understand how to fix it or why it was happening. So how is this something that we would even think of to do some strengthening exercises or really involve it in our skiing and snowboarding? Well, the reason I thought about it is because we had a lecture at the gym that I go to. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) we learned about it and how all the muscles work together. And it was in relation to rowing on a rowing machine. And we learned about how the muscles have to work together to row efficiently and get your times down. And I started to relate it back to snowboarding. And I realized that I wasn't firing my glutes properly. And my lumbar spine muscles weren't being used properly either. And I was injuring other random muscles. The day before my SIR 3 exam, I could barely walk because I landed weird. So really, in a way, I mean, if we're not using muscle, if if a muscle is weak, we really learn how to cheat by using other muscles. So is this, our body's just not working as efficiently as it should. Right. And when we learn how to cheat, we put extra stress on those other supplementary muscles without using the main muscles in our body. Our glutes are so strong. And if we're not using that, We're, one, using other things to compensate, which makes us more tired, and makes us ski, snowboard, or snow skate less efficiently. Really? There's efficient ways to snow skate? (laughs) 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 Okay, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) I can answer if you want. That's up to you. Really, this is something, though, that we're, even if someone hasn't pointed it out, what you're going to be talking about and being able to strengthen these muscles, it's just good overall fitness. 
Right. It's great overall fitness, and it helps get into a good pattern for the off-season, which is kind of coming up, unfortunately. I know. I can't believe it. <laughs> I know. It's getting warm already. And if we get into this pattern and do some exercises to strengthen our posterior chain, then we're just going to be that much stronger for next season for when we just ski, ride, have fun, and start to get ready for certifications for the 18-19 season. So go ahead and get into the, let's get into the posterior kinetic chain, what you did to strengthen it, and how it's changed you. I worked on a bunch of stuff to strengthen it. I think the most effective exercises were deadlifts, just jumping on the rowing machine, and going to yoga. Really? Yeah. So nothing really involved, just good exercise. But how did you, I would think when you're deadlifting or doing some things like that, you know, I look around the gym when I go, and you see a lot of people with improper form using improper technique to do their, their weights. <laughs> That's funny that you say that. The coaches at the gym I go to are really hard on form, and they're honest. They're watching. We use weight belts. Some of us use lifting shoes, and if they see anything little, they'll tell us about it, show us how to do it right, and they'll film us if we need to, and we can talk about it together on film. So if we haven't been doing a weight program without a coach, maybe we should have a trainer at least check us out to make sure that we're doing our exercises correctly and then get into our own program. Exactly. Our students on snow have us as coaches. We have trainers as our coaches. I mean, why not have a coach to help you prepare for such a huge part of the winter? So where did you feel the strengthening taking place and when did you really notice a difference? The strengthening started taking place gradually. It's about... I've been doing this program at the gym for maybe three, four, five years. At the end of year three, I started to really notice the differences as I paid more and more attention to my form. And, and I'm thinking, too, of the, the cheating movements. Let's kind of bring that into skiing and snowboarding because, I mean, I've overcome a lot of bad injuries, and you definitely will make movements that you don't need to use <laughs> to make the skis or snowboards turn. Um, but how long did it take you to get those out of your uh, repertoire and start snowboarding the way that you should? I don't know that they're completely out, but I've learned the new movements and I've learned how to feel when something's going right and when something is not going so right. You can feel something pull or tweak and it's not comfortable and you can give yourself a cue to fix it. And how did you come up with that? Did you actually uh, just work with yourself or did you have someone coach you and go through some training? It kind of all happened in the gym. It did. And it carried over to on snow and I noticed how effective and helpful it is. And I've been suggesting that some of my friends try it out too. So what are some things we could do with students if we notice that, uh, hey, I'm seeing that this person is probably weak in the posterior kinetic chain. Um, are there any exercises that you can do with a student during a lesson? Right, there are lots of exercises you can do with your students. You can have them, if they're on a snowboard, you can have them kneel on their knees and they can feel how they extend their hips and they'll feel their hamstrings and their glutes and their lumbar spine muscles engage when they're learning how to ride on their toe edge if they're a beginner. You can have them do a plank and they can also feel that muscle engagement. You can have them imagine being on a rowing machine or imagine doing a deadlift and have them put a hand where they'd usually tense that muscle. I'm trying to picture a snowboard or ski class doing planks in the snow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty fun. Bring it all together. 
Well, so Lynn, are there any things we can do with our students, maybe when they're moving? How did your uh, clinician know that you had anterior pelvic tilt? And maybe what's something they could have done to help you with that? I was absorbing mostly at the waist and basically not using my legs to absorb very much. You can see that in your students too. It's a pretty obvious movement when you see them basically break at the waist or bend over in half. It's not always the reason that they're doing this though, and that's important to keep in mind. This is one thing that could be going on. So then what is something as instructors that we can do with that student to help them correct instead of just say, don't bend at the waist? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to tell my students what they can do rather than what not to do because they process it better for the most part. So a static exercise that I like to try is having a student stand up on their heel edge in their snowboarding position, and they lean slightly back with my hands on their back like a truss test, except they're flexed at their ankles and flexed at their knees, and obviously flexed at their lower spine. And then they can practice engaging those muscles that they use in the posterior chain to maintain that position. Another exercise they can try is standing still and trying to tap their toe, you know, like Sonic the Hedgehog in the video game? Absolutely. Yeah, how he taps his toe all the time. You stand up straight and tap your toe, and you can feel all the muscles contract as it goes up the back part of the frontal plane in the back of your body. Oh, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can have them bend over and try to do the same thing, and they're not going to feel the same contractions. Lynn, I love this topic. So in conclusion, what are, what are three things you'd really like us to take away from this? I'd like everyone to take away the what, why, and how relating to the posterior kinetic chain. The what is what it is, what the muscles are that it's made of, mm -hmm. and the muscles we focus on. And in my article, I focus primarily on the lumbar spine muscles, the glutes, and the hamstrings. The next thing I'd like you guys to take away is the why. And if ideal hip flexion is not happening due to the posterior kinetic chain not fully engaging, our movements become inefficient and we just get tired and that's no fun. And finally, the last takeaway is the how. And we can identify weaknesses in the chain based on the movement patterns of our students. And we can use those movement cues and strengthen our eye for movement analysis. And Lynn, one thing I would like people to take away is where they can find the article that you wrote. It's very well written, really goes into detail on this, and uh, I think it'd be great if people wanted to get more information about uh, the posterior kinetic chain and, and how to work with this, uh, where they could go find the article that you wrote. The article is available on the PSIA RM website, and it was posted maybe a week or two ago. So it is on the Rocky site? Yes, it is. And I think maybe it would be very helpful if we were able to link it to the podcast. So we'll give that a try as well. Awesome. I'll shoot you a PDF and we can go from there. Lynn Hasday, thanks very much for joining us on First Chair. Thank you so much, George. From the PSIA AASI Mobile Studios at Beaver Creek Resort, I'm George Thomas.